Sonic Statesman.com. Hello and uh, welcome to Sonic Talk number 32, going live on February the 8th, that's a Thursday. We've got another full house. Who have we got? I've got, I'd just like to, I think I'll introduce Richard Evans first because uh, he actually, last time he was here, I sort of overlooked him until halfway through the last podcast. So, Richard Evans, how the devil are you? I've got a bit of a sweaty higher lip. Have you? I don't know what that means. Are you nervous? Is it? Is it? Are you a bit out of practice? It might be nerves. Is it red light fever? Nerves or illness? Uh, I hope. I hope it's not illness. Me too. Anyway, um, and we've also got Mark Tinley. Good to have you back. How are you doing, Mark? Hello. Not too bad. Jolly good. Are you uh, using your line six today? I, I haven't. I'm using my line six, and I haven't got a sweaty upper lip. I'm glad to hear that. Too bloody cold to have a sweaty upper it lip. It is cold. It's a very crisp and cold. We're expecting lots of snow in the, in the UK, which is always a very exciting prospect, because they always say it's going to snow really heavily, and it never does. So uh, we never get to go sledging or make or skive off work, basically. Um, uh, John Musgrave, also with us. How are you doing, John? I'm very well, thank you. Good. Glad Just to hear waiting, it. Just waiting for the snow to turn up. Yes. Does that actually affect your ability to go to work, or um, are you just going to take no, the time? No, because I get out of my bedroom and walk down to my studio, so no. Ah, maybe, <laughs> uh, I don't know, maybe you need to go and stay at somebody else's house tonight to make sure you can't get back to go to work. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, and um, non-Eric from Berlin. Hello, everyone. Have you got, you've probably got snow already, because you're in Germany, aren't you? Mm, no, it's been extremely mild here in Berlin. Extremely. We only had snow f- uh, once. But uh, it would be great if there would be really snowy and cold outside so I could just stay here and play with my new iMac. Oh, did you get a 24-inch? No, just 20. Ah, I saw a lot of 24-inch ones at at NAMM and they did look exceedingly delicious, although quite heavy. Didn't didn't we see a lot of um, uh, iMacs running Windows? Yes, we did see quite a lot of iMacs, especially on the Roland stand. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And uh, Dave Spears... Good to have you with us again. Thank you. And uh, are, you're, are you emerging from a rigorous uh, um, schedule of universal binary finalisation? Yes. Any good okay. news? Uh, yeah, should be. Uh, well, we're going to. We've got. We're on the final push, basically. I suppose I should contextualise this. Dave. Dave Spears. Is it GeForce now? You're called or G? I'm, I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to refer you as because uh, I know the company name is 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 twofold at the moment. Which one? Which one would you like to be? Uh, probably GeForce. GeForce. Think, GeForce yeah. software, makers of fine yeah. plug-in instruments, which is why we're asking about the universal binary. Oh, I'd just like to say, I'm supposed to plug this, because whenever I introduce non-Eric, I'm supposed to say, well, this is of my own making, he doesn't insist on it, I assure you, from musotalk.de, and also yes. digitalmusicians.net. There you go. Thank you very much. Sonicstate.com. Nam again, are there any points any of you would like to raise? Is there anything that perhaps slipped under our radar that we didn't mention last week? I don't know if anything slipped under your radar, because I've actually used specifically and only your website to find out what was going on there. So if it slipped under your radar, I'm not going to know. Ah, well, that's true. Um, although there was the, did you see the NAM oddities? Barry Wood puts together a kind of uh, blog of unusual things that he finds, you know, in various categories. It's uh, guitars and instruments, other goodies, geek techno toys, percussion, and, you know, just various other weird stuff. There's a few things on there that we didn't catch. There's there's quite a cool program from Audio Ease. Did anyone see that? Oh yeah, that looked really How good. How brilliant is that? And How and you can still you can it's brilliant. And you, they're still asking for people to make up a name for it as well. I think which is quite yeah. interesting. At the moment, it's got a name of Soundabout, and it's a kind of like Finder extension by the looks of things. And it just enables you to kind of well, basically view a waveform 
and kind of grab clippings and just chuck them about in all sorts of ways. It's and and one of the really cool things was you can browse audio files and just click on a button and it will position them at the cursor point in Pro Tools mm-hmm. and presumably other doors as well when they get round to it. But mm. it's a really yeah. nice little um, little gizmo. Looks like it comes up as a fold down window off the bottom of the application window. And just follows that follows the finder window around. Which is quite there's, a, cool. there's a really cool um, demo of it uh, where he's he's talking. It's uh, there's a picture of uh, Arjun van der Schoot, who's uh, the main guy of audio ease that, that I know about anyway. And uh, he's talking you through it. And it's a great demo, and he just kind of goes, "It's good, isn't it?" And it, uh, and we all have to agree it is. And I, and I and I just feel very ashamed that I didn't actually go and see it. But then he's also <laughs> brilliant, isn't he? Because by, by the time he's kind of finished talking to you. You're in this kind of hypnotised state where you just want to click and buy it. Yeah, they should have a button there, shouldn't they? Uh, the other thing that looked quite interesting was um, audio cubes, which I didn't get to see. They're sort of USB things that you um, you can create MIDI messages with them. and I don't know what you do, squeeze them and move them around, but they look kind of quite funky for the performance artist amongst us. And doesn't the audio cubes remind us of the rectables? The blocks, the rectable thing, that since... From Barcelona, the table where you stick symbol a little oh, bit. Yeah, yeah. I thought they were just um, kind of fancy soft lighting for your studio. I didn't realise they actually <laughs> did something. <laughs> I thought you just put them on your desk, you know, so you could glow there looking like some kind of techno wizard. Um, anybody else? Um, John, did you see anything else that, that kind of that um, took your fancy or any, any impressions from Nam that you care to share? I did actually have a look at Dave doing um, his demo of, um, of his virtual string machine. Good man. Which I, which I thought was great. I was really impressed by that, actually. Just in terms of how easy it is to use in the sounds. Just the variation in sounds is, is quite, you know, quite amazing. You wouldn't have thought it. That's what, you know, what I'd say Yeah. about string machines, yeah. unless you know anything about them. Dave, that's another tenner it's going to cost you. Excellent. <laughs> I'll, I'll be on PayPal now. Yeah. <laughs> Hands cleaned me out last week. So, Mark, anything that you did see, that you uh, apart from the, the Axis keyboard, is there anything else that kind of took your fancy or you know impressions from the show that you saw sort of vicariously from here and i've been a guitarist since i was 15 so that's about nearly 30 years and i still can't tune the damn thing so those those tuning pegs the oh, tuning the view, yeah i've got to i've got to get those that looked amazing not a peep from apple although a very big stand they had a huge stand there didn't they and it was kind of uh, for those who saw it lots of demoing of, of technology they had some great demo people on their stand but um Nothing at all to announce whatsoever. Is there a new um, new portable Apogee interface that they were showing on the Apple stand? Did you oh, yeah, that? the PCI Express card that's, oh, yeah, that, right. that runs the Symphony interfaces. Yeah, that's right. It's actually the PCI card, but it wasn't a... Well, it's yeah, it's not actually a new interface. It's just the... Uh, um, it's a PCI Express card that will fit in your uh, MacBook uh, Pro and run, the, uh, run the, the Symphony system. Got it. Okay. Um, they're hard at work at Logic 8, I was told. Somebody, somebody not a million miles from here gave me, said that it was Logic 8, and I actually sent an email to uh, the, the, the PR lady at Apple saying, oh, great, I've heard Logic 8's coming out, and you're going to show it at NAMM. Can I come and visit you? And needless to say, she didn't, she didn't actually reply. <laughs> but I did, didn't I feel stupid? But are there any rumours about what it's actually, what's going to be the difference between Logic 7 and 8? Well, you you have a you have a sneaking suspicion that perhaps eight will just be a different skin or a something. Rewrite? No, no, it's going to be a re- complete rewrite of the whole. Really? Yes. Wow. About That's bloody what time. I was told. Exactly. I I was told at NAM a couple of years ago by the guy that wrote the original audio engine that they would never 
he swore to me we will never rewrite the audio engine. Because it, it was a bit unfortunate. I was at a party ranting at him when all he wanted to do was... Stop working. Know, stop working and, and the like. And, and so I felt a well, bit bad about it. But he swore to me it would always be the same. So I thought Logic was just going to be endless doodads piled on top of, a, mm. of an audio engine with obvious problems. Yeah, I, I couldn't help being really, really nasty to the demo guy. And I was pointing at the audio mixer fader with its 127 discrete steps and telling him that I don't want to see that old Atari code in there any longer. <laughs> There's a way around that, actually. I'm going to plug myself here. If you go to my AU uh, Audio Units plug-in roundup, there's a long fader that you can get, which you can automate, which is really rather nice. I and it's free. Oh, cool. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's worth... It's, uh, is it both? I can't even remember. So it's freeware, comes, freeware comes to the rescue of, uh, of Apple's inadequacies in fader resolution. Shock headline. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did anyone get a chance to see the, uh, art, the the Nate Harrison piece on the Amen break? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it, was, yeah. Wasn't it interesting? Did anyone find it interesting? Did I mean, you it, see that? Did you see that video on YouTube? Yeah, well, it's. I mean, it's just basically a monologue with a couple of moving images. The images don't really support the words that much, but the, the it's an interesting sort of audio essay on uh, on the source of the Amen break. Which, um, if, for those of you who don't know, it sounds like this. It's, it's been used, I mean, it's in sort of 1989 it was first discovered, um, you know, and used by Third Base and then NWA, Straight Out Compton and all that stuff. And then um, it kind of gave rise to, it, this is one of the interesting things, he says it sort of it exclusively almost gave birth to the whole drum and bass and jungle scene. Because that break kind of did, was almost it? in everything, you know, and still is. Chopped up in loads of little bits, you know, there's uh, Square Pusher uses it, you know, just tons and tons and tons of it. I wonder what's happened to the drummer who played it. He sort of went into he went into that at the end of the documentary, and he was talking about the copyright um, and the fact that um, Zero G, the sample library people, are actually selling it on a drum and bass construction kit. Yeah, and that they they are claiming the copyright of it and offering you know saying that you're free to use it in your own music, but you're not uh, allowed to sell it to anyone else. And when he played the Zero G version and the original, I mean it's obvious that they exactly were the yeah they style. were identical he did give them a bit yeah, of a but, kicking there really didn't he yeah but there's yeah. one real big question about this because uh, from a copyright point of view it's only illegal if you actually sample the original record but if you would probably reprogram it using your own drum sound and make it sound exactly the same you know by tweaking everything then you get away with it but that's a that's a that's a crazy thing about copyright if you listen to the two by side by side which he does and they are the same thing and it's basically you know it might have EQ'd it differently but it was there's no way that they recreated that that was it or at least that's where it sounds i suppose i should use the word allegedly in there somewhere shouldn't i um so i was still struck by how fast it was actually the original track yeah because when you hear it in the hip-hop tracks it's obviously come down quite a lot in tempo and then in jungle it's gone up a lot and he also sort of touches on kind of it being used in recycle and chopped up into little bits and reordered. And, you know, it's quite an interesting kind of... But the original break even has that feel to it, where it's got a little shuffle section in the middle. Sounds like it's been rejigged around anyway. It has that feel. So I was wondering whether, you know, there should be a couple more um, of these on other famous breaks. I mean, obviously, we should get the funky drummer, shouldn't we, in there somewhere? 
That's got to be. Absolutely. Um, and there's the Led Zeppelin one as well, isn't there? Yeah, Levy Breaks. So there's kind of a whole history of, you know, be interested that, that maybe there's a program in there somewhere. My favourite one for the record is the um, Apache one, the Incredible oh, Bongo Band brilliant. one. That's such a cool... And it's like there's so many long sections of it in the track as well. But yeah, history of breaks. Not often you get to hear a kind of 20-minute monologue on, on the history of a break, so it's well worth a listen. This is definitely being in my top five most important keyboards of all time. Single most influential keyboard ever designed, obviously after the piano. Great for bass lines and leads and that sort of thing. It's, it's pretty cool synth. The top 20 greatest synths of all time. Coming soon from Sonic State. There we go. That's our top 20 synths trailer. Uh, we're all looking forward to seeing that very soon. Um, coming up on February the 14th is launch day. Um, so episode one then. Uh, we hope you all enjoy it and keep watching the space. Uh, you, if you want to find out information about uh, the top 20 synths program, just head for sonicstate.com forward slash top 20. That's T-O-P-2-0. I was just looking on YouTube. I was having one of those kind of, um, you know, rambling video searches on YouTube and I suddenly came across KLF because there's some quite interesting um, sort of studio interviews Anyone seen that? Seen three AM or what time is love? Recently, they they still stand up. Even maybe I'm just being um, being sentimental, but I still th- I think they were a great band. I love the way they burned one million pounds. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> I wonder whether they actually did. I've got a whole theory about it. Okay, my theory is that in this country, if you're self-employed and you spend, or if you have to spend any money um, running your business, that that money is offsetable against tax, right? Yeah. About two years before they set fire to that money, they changed their status as self-employed people from musicians to artists, right? They then gave a whole load of money to... Um, other artists by nailing it onto a piece of board and stuff, didn't they? That took, was it the Turner Prize or something? They did the alternative Turner Prize. Then shortly after this, they withdrew a large sum of money to do that, to give that money away. Then they withdrew a million pounds from the bank, disappeared to some island to burn it, filmed the whole thing, right? And then they came back with a suitcase full of ashes, which some expert allegedly had said was the remains of maybe 80,000 pounds, right? Right. Now, if you've burnt a million pounds... And it's it's uh, a business expense. Then you write that off against tax. Don't you? Right. <laughs> so tax dodge sounds very oh, good. I, I wonder, and maybe like uh, Jimmy and um, Bill are sort of sitting with you know half a million pound each stuffed in their mattress somewhere. I don't know. That's a great idea. It's the sort of thing that that you could imagine they would be capable of. I worked with him after that, and he was quite. Reluctant to talk about it. <laughs> if you had, if you had burnt it, you wouldn't be, and if you hadn't burnt it, you would be. But he seemed quite, um, you know, didn't really want to discuss that particular point. <laughs> that chapter, because they was, got some. Was, they were great at publicity, weren't they? I mean, I, I lived in Devon, and he lived in, in this farmhouse, maybe uh, ten miles from me. And I used to drive over in an open top two CV, and about two miles from his house, I could hear 
what he was doing, and he was in a, um, a corrugated iron-roofed barn, right, with two turbo-sound PA speakers in front of him with, like, one of those Yamaha, the big Yamaha digital desk at the time. This was about 10 years ago. And he'd have this music going, and you'd walk in there, and you couldn't even stand in front of these speakers because it was so bloody loud. And the roof was working like a, a almost like a, a speaker or sounder and just projecting this, like, really loud drum and bass for, like, miles and miles around on a kind of a hot summer Devon day, you know. I mean, everyone for miles around can hear it. Which one? Was that Jimmy Corty or Bill, Bill yeah, Drummond? Yeah, Jimmy Corty, yeah. Because now he's, a, now he's a, just an art, full-time artist, isn't he? He's an amazing artist as well. I mean, I, I saw some of his art sort of hanging in the barn next door, and he'd got all these projectors and bright colours and stuff. I mean, you know... Quite awesome, really. Well, I, w I was told um, that uh, one, a museum offered them one million pounds for the remains of the one million pounds. This big, big black block of burnt cash. And I suppose, presumably, if it was a tax dodge, they would be less inclined to actually sell them it because then it would mean that they would be back in didn't. the accounting uh, system. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> has, has anyone read Bill Drummond's book, 45? I did, yeah. I thought there were some great stories in there. They, hang, they hung something up, like a carcass from somewhere, didn't they? Uh, it was yeah, No, they, what it was, it was the Brit Awards, yeah. or it was one of those, and um, it was a Lancaster Gate Hotel, because it was about, they were sort of doing their thing about the same time as I was involved dabbling in kind of pop music and actually having to be a front person, you know, promoting and stuff. So we kind of, our paths used to cross... Not very closely, but I remember we didn't go to that one, but um, they drove past and threw a, sh a dead sheep into the foyer of the hotel <laughs> as some sort of a statement. I, I think that the fact that it was pop music, you know, and we were all sheep for following the trends. I think that was kind of what they were saying, or at least that's the interpretation. But they were they were uh, fascinating. I mean, for those who don't know about KLF, I'm not sure how big they were in the rest of the world. They were pretty big in America, I think, but uh, for a couple of tunes. Um, they kind of, they they were cynical pop musicians, weren't they, that just kind of decided to... Well, he'd make ran, pop records. But Bill Drummond had ran a big record label, hadn't he, for years Oh, really? Before. I didn't yeah, know that. He, he was like head of A&R at Universal or something. Oh, I fantastic. Which ones. No wonder he was so kind of uh, contemptuous of the industry. We, uh, we went to this, it was like a kind of charity event at uh, Wimbledon Arena or Wimbledon Stadium where they have dog racing. And it was a kind of charity stock car race. And there were people like Tony Hadley. And it was about that sort of time, Tony Hadley and Iron Maiden and kind of they were all doing their solo comeback records and us and various other people and they all got to drive around in stock cars and the KLF turned up with an armoured vehicle <laughs> and tried, tried to enter that and at which point everybody went, no way, man. In the end, they didn't. They didn't get to use it but what they did use was the, uh, the KLF sort of American police car caddy and drove that around and it's, that looked really mean and just I just remember I, I think I remember them um, powering Tony Hadley off the road and mashing him into the side banners <laughs> Tony hey. Hadley from Spandau Ballet I mean who wouldn't I mean I was desperate to get in a car and do the same myself but I couldn't have done it with as much style or probably competence Did, did you guys uh, read the manual? Yeah For the, the manual is great Yeah uh, uh, A couple of years ago there was uh, even a German translation And what is the manual? The manual is, is that the manual of how to make a hit record? Is that right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. And, and how, what did they do? Was it, was it Doctor and the TARDIS? or Doc, What was the name of the record they did in the UK? Was yeah, it? after that one. Yeah, Doctor yeah. Who. Doctor yeah. Who, Doctor and the Time Lords or whatever. It was. Yeah, Doctor yeah. and the TARDIS. And they just kind of made it up. 
Well, I was listening to a few of the yeah a few of the um, the tracks on on YouTube, and I have to say, what was it? It was three a.m., which was the kind of first one, which had that gated um, clarinet solo in the middle. And it sounded brilliant, but the bass drum is so loud; it just drives the whole thing. It's the loudest thing in the track. I mean, and but by some considerable amount, it's just like bang, 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 bang. It's incredible. But wasn't it always the same record over and over again? Um, similar voicings. I wouldn't say no. I mean, they had themes, didn't they? Moo Moo and uh, Justified and Ancient being a few of their themes. The Justified Ancients of Moomoo, apparently, I don't know if this is true, but this is what my brother Adam told me that Jimmy had told him. They used to be called the Justified Ancients of Moomoo. Now, the Justified Ancients of Moomoo are a sect in the new order of the Golden Dawn, right? And they have, you know, that triangle thing that's on the dollar bill? Oh, yeah, with the eye. um, As their symbol. So apparently, Jimmy's sitting in a pub in Camden, and this guy with a like a tie and a, that symbol walks into the pub and tells them that if they don't change the name of the band, that they're going to um, basically hex them and kill them. So they <laughs> sort of rapidly change their name to the KLF. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's a pretty amazing. I just story. think that even even if it's not true, just the fact that somebody sat in a room and made all this stuff up. Uh, what a great imagination! <laughs> you know, I mean, anyone who doesn't know what the KLF are all about, get on YouTube and do a search for KLF and watch some videos. Uh, they've got a great sense of mischief about them and it's just it comes across and it's absolutely brilliant can anyone remember what actually won the turner prize the year they gave them double the money for was it rachel rachel whiteread well uh, just just to clarify the turner prize is a sort of um, british institution every year a kind of uh, contemporary british artist is given how much they get 10 grand or something and it's always kind of really contemporary like you know a box of dirty tissues or uh, tracy emin was a very good example of just an unmade bed and uh, what was another one? Uh, Damon Hurst, obviously, with the cows sawn in too. You know, so it's a great f- point of focus for people to say, "Isn't modern art rubbish?" And often, you know, I tend to agree, but it's it's always causes a bit of a hoo ha and just kind of. What was the what's the one where the, the shark or something is rotten as well, isn't it? And they have to replace the shark. Oh, uh, that's that's another Damon Hurst chop, isn't it? So not the same piece of art if they replace the shark, and then will it devalue it or will it make it worth more money? And Oh, such deep questions are beyond the scope of this panel, I feel. <laughs> the new MG Compact Mixer Range from Yamaha 8, 10, 12, 24, and 32 channel. Raw connectivity. Mixing consoles with multi-effects technology. Controllable. Phantom powering. Smooth, reliable switching. 12 segment meters. Easy visual confirmation. Compact. Lightweight. Design. The finest mixers in their class. For a full spec, check out www.yamahaproaudio.com. The new MG Mixer Range from Yamaha. Once again, we'd like to thank Yamaha UK for sponsoring the podcast, being so forward-thinking as to get involved in a new media. And, of course, if you want to help support us, support them, support us, then uh, by all means, click on the URL that they mention in the ad. Uh, Once again, thanks to Yamaha UK. SonicState.com while we're talking about big bucks, I suppose, Super Bowl, I know it passes me by because I have absolutely no interest in uh, American football whatsoever, but there's always a big hoo-ha surrounding the ad slots in uh, Super Bowl. And uh, did anyone see the link? There was a link of kind of various ads, um, and I sort of went through and had a look at them, and there were some quite funny ones. Did anyone have a look at any of those Super Bowl ads? I saw the Grand Theft Auto one. Yeah, oh. I thought you'd like that one. That, that, I could yeah. de- describe that. It's actually it, it's a Coke ad, I think, isn't it? And it's basically a Grand Theft Auto guy 
who comes screeching up in his car, this amazing kind of thing, and you just think, you know, he's going to start shooting people. But what he actually does is start sort of helping old ladies cross the road and kind of uh, offering change to beggars and, um, and you know, assisting assisting people. And it's just, it's actually a really funny ad, I thought. Did, I, I, you're a big player of that. Did, did you get the joke fully? Oh, completely. I thought it was awesome. Really, really, really well done. Yeah, that, that, I mean, because ultimately, I mean, these ads are presumably the kind of, the best that advertising creative minds have to offer at us at, at a snap point at snapshot in time. The blockbuster mouse, I thought was quite funny. Anyone see that one? There's that a, was good. There's a rabbit and a and a hamster, or a rabbit and a guinea pig, trying to get surf the internet, and he's just sort of clicking, and and all you can hear is this sort of awful sort of noise. And he looks down, and what he's actually doing is pressing on a, an actual mouse. It doesn't work well in description. You've got to watch it. It's, it's, it's well done. In, in, but there's, there's a few good ones. Uh, but there were a couple that I didn't really understand, like, what or who is Izod? It's a clothing label, isn't it? Is that right? It was one of the most cryptic ads I've ever seen. It was kind of all these beautiful people doing daring and, and fabulous holiday-type activities. And, and then Izod, and I just didn't know what... designer clothes. What, right, okay, thank you. Uh, the other one I couldn't really get to grips with was, was the, was the uh, beer-stealing crabs one for the Budweiser. What's, what's that all about? Ah, didn't you get it at the end? Because what it was was if you looked at the silhouette of the the case of Bud with the two it things like sticking out and the two bottles, it looked like a crab with his arms up yeah. and his feelers out. And yeah. they were going, that's why they were doing that kind of uh, okay. Toy Story kind of, we are not worthy, you know, Messiah. we are our leader. Yes, exactly. Okay. Glad to be of service there, John. Any time you need something no, no, clarifying. That's fine. I thought that's happy. what it was, but I, I couldn't really understand why that was good. Fun, in any way go. funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's like two and a half million dollars for one of those slots for, for 30, 60 seconds or something. But apparently 90 million Americans watched it, which, which makes it more popular than Christmas, they say. Well, who, was, who was the act? Well, I haven't uh, seen or heard it, but I heard that it was Prince and it was supposed to be really, really, really good. Oh, good for him. I have a friend who was Prince's key tech, and um, Prince and Duran Duran happened to be doing the same festival one year, and uh, Stuart, this guy, said to me, whatever you do, don't look at him and don't talk to him, right? I was standing by my big Duran Duran rig, and Stuart was standing by the big Prince rig, and Prince just happened to come and stand bang next to me, and I turned around to him and went, oh, hello, and my friend was trying to hide behind his equipment, because he's, oh, God, what have you done? Right, what did you and do? It's just what? complete... Well, you can't talk to him. You're not allowed to look at him, and you're not allowed to talk to him. And I spoke to him, and that's really not, like, not a good thing to do. But right, he so sort of managed to have you impro- just completely ignored me, no. If I'd been working for him, I would have been excommunicated. So were you much taller than him? <laughs> yes. Oh, he's Phenomenally tiny. so. Everyone yeah, He was at NAMM, like, three or four years oh, ago. Oh, really? They're and not and he year. had these... Yeah, get this. He had these kids in police outfits, and they were his bodyguards. Oh, really? Were they taller than him? <laughs> No. Well, they were just a little smaller than him. It was brilliant. I, I got introduced to him because a mate really? of mine was his keyboard tech for a while as well. He gets through them then, obviously. Oh, yeah, I mean, probably. Robbie, Robbie, Robbie said it's amazing because, you know, you know when he's pissed off with you because he just goes very quiet. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but isn't he normally like that? No, the best thing was, so when he came up and I was introduced to him, I was like, I said, uh, so uh, what do I call you nowadays then? And he just kind of made this squeak and walked off. <laughs> we just stood there going, that so did really you was, wasn't it are you sure it wasn't an la lookalike? some well, prankster was, set you up bloody good was, was it, it was amazing 
God, I, no, a Prince, I mean, I think Prince is a genius, or has been a genius, for great deals of time, but perhaps not so much now. Tell you my other Prince story. Oh, please, I'm, I'm all here for Prince this, stories. Keep them coming. This, the, the guy that did sound for Duran Duran, this um, Prince's sound guy for many years, right? And Prince was um, with his keyboard player trying to explain something to him, and the guy was playing this very, very complicated kind of riff, completely wrong. And Prince walked up to him from the other side of the keyboard and said, no, man, it doesn't go like that. It goes like this, and played all the keys and played this musical riff perfectly from the other side of the keyboard. Like the whole thing's upside down. Ask about, ask about face upside down. I we when we were when I went again going back to my days of uh, having to promote a record. We went to Paris and we had this uh, mad Parisian sort of chauffeur guy driving us around called Guillaume, and he used to drive Prince around. And he um, and he said him and him and the Prince used to get on quite well, and he used to play him all this music because what he had is uh, wherever his hotel was, he had this Arctic at the back with like a studio in it. So if he wasn't feeling kind of if he was feeling particularly kind of sleepless, which apparently he hardly ever slept at all, he'd just go out and knock out all of this stuff, and then come back in the morning um, and get on with his day's work. And it was all orchestral and really complicated and kind of quite quite amazing, according to my French friend. The, with the Prince thing, when uh, we all got invited to an after-show party, which was basically Prince and his band um, playing in this little tiny club, and I can't remember which American city it was in. It might have been Chicago, actually, I think, but I'm not sure. I can't remember the location. But there was, like, you know, sort of a couple of hundred people crammed in this tiny club, and they played for about three hours literally all this amazing set and that was pretty filthy as well and um, i mean as if they didn't work hard enough i mean what would it be a blessing or a curse to be in prince's band do you think curse. i nearly worked for him i was going to um work for tommy his other one of his keyboard players i nearly left around around to go and do the prince thing wow. and instead of doing that and sent my friend uh, morgan to go and work with prince and he said it was the worst nightmare of his life the worst <laughs> two weeks of his life and he just he went to go and do this job and he just basically kind of walked out and came back home because he, he said it was just awful difficult genius vista's out we should probably cover that can anyone make well, music on vista i mean i know cakewalk sonar sonar 6.2 is vista ready is there anything else but there's a big question here, Nick. Uh, is it ready to work on the 32 or the 64-bit version? And I think because we are start, we um, just bought a, a Vista computer for us to test our software on, and the question really is, will it run on 32 or 64? And maybe Dave can also help us out on this discussion because I think that's a bit conf for confusing because there's basically two versions. One that's quite compatible, which will be the 32-bit, but the 64-bit one, there's almost no drivers available for that. Uh, well, I think Sonar works on 64-bit, but I don't know what else does. Don't ask me. <laughs> I'm just bloody I'm up to my neck in Apple. At, Are we looking at a situation here where you need different drivers for, for the different versions of, of Vista, then? Is that the situation? I think so, yes. Oh, I think what a horrible the, mess. I think the 32-bit uh -oh. version, all the old drivers should more or less work. But for the 64-bit version, uh, you need drivers for almost everything. I heard from this computer store here that somebody just bought a new laptop with a 64-bit uh, pre-installed Vista, and he couldn't run any of his peripherals. No, yeah. no printer, no scanner, no nothing. And he just returned it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he turned the laptop, yeah. 
because Sony will already work in 64-bit mode on a 32-bit machine, won't it? Just you don't yeah. get as much, you don't get anywhere near the power out of it. No, presumably not. And it's, it's really confusing to buy one because it's, I don't know, 10 different versions? Yes. Home basic, home premium, mm. 64, 32, business. I got really confused. I didn't know which one to order. So which company. one did you order? Uh, the home premium. 32-bit. 32 and 64-bit, both. Okay. Anyone fancy chipping in for this um, this plane? The 1999 Bombardier Challenger 604, as new, for a mere $19 million. That was on eBay. Dave, I... I, I 19, 19 and a half. Oh, 19 and a half. I was checking to see if anyone had bid on it, but um, I've realised that you actually had to be pre-approved. So, uh, Dave, I, have, you, have, have, you, have you looked at that yet? We looked at the finance possibilities and then uh, wrote it off in about 30 seconds. Ah. <laughs> Wouldn't it be a great way to travel, though? There's lots of interior shots. I mean, I wonder what it's like to actually have a plane. I've never flown on a plane that's not, you know, a kind of cattle-class jet with uh, hundreds of other people on it. I wonder what it's like. I think I've been on one of these with Duran Duran. Have you? And they, re- they regularly hire planes now because it's cheaper than flying everyone first class. Ah, well, I suppose so. so. I've been on something very, very similar to this, if not the same. That table looks familiar. I just had a tattoo done in Chicago, of all things, and I had a very sore arm, so it's sort of... You remember it. Yeah. I've got Richard here as well, who um, did a stint with Peter Gabriel Band, um, what, a couple of years ago? No, we were touring for three years, between three- nine, 2002 and, no, 2001 and 2004, and, it was, and we had private planes the whole time, and it was, I, I reassure everybody that it was very nice. Thank you. <laughs> but the great thing about it, actually, is that there's no waiting... The plane waits for you till you're ready to go, and you don't. And you just the 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 van drives straight into the airport, straight onto the runway, straight up to the plane. And it waits there until you've finished in the pub or whatever, and then it takes off as soon as everybody's on board. So it's it's a delight. Well, I can imagine <laughs> it is. I, anyone who listens to my travelogue podcast will know how how much of a mess you can get into in airports and trying to get to the gate on time. Well, 19 million, 19 million is a bit much for me, but I did actually um, notice that there's a Lear jet for a mere 10% of that. It's only 1.9 million, so that's dollars. So we could get one for a million quid if we could actually all cobble together it. Um, but I don't think it probably only holds... How much does a Lear jet hold? Is it like four people or something? They're tiny, aren't they? Are they? Oh, that wouldn't be any good. We could have a podcast on it. Maybe I could write to them and say, I've got a really good idea for publicising your auction. <laughs> we'll do a podcast from 20,000 feet if you pay for the flight. Yeah, and we'll burn a million quid. Well, it probably will. <laughs> it's not going to happen, is it? Did anybody see the Digidesign sampler? And tell them that it can say whether it works or not and, and how close it is to actually get... It's called... Uh, structure. No, I don't think it's ready yet. I did see a very brief demo of it. It, it. it did look good, but I'm exceptionally envious of the Wizu guys. I um, know Mark quite well, who said, I said to him, how's it going since the uh, takeover then, since the buyout? And he went, you know what, David's brilliant. He said, we get to, uh, we've got all the money we want to develop whatever we want. We get absolutely no hindrance whatsoever, and we only develop for our tasks. Life's great. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, dear friends, uh, the time has come to end our little get-together. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, um, Richard Evans. You're welcome. And, uh, thank you very much, Non-Eric from Berlin. You're welcome, too. And John Musgrave, thanks to you. Cheers. 
Uh, Dave Spears. Thank you very much. A pleasure as always. And uh, Mark Tinley, thank you for joining us once more. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Ah, I like, I, like the way, I like the way you <laughs> conjoined all the previous ones into one of your very own there. That was particularly <laughs> skillful. Well done. All right, guys. Um, thanks a lot. I'm still I'm feeling a bit of a ponce, though, after this uh, private jet thing. I just want to t- tell everybody that it was funny how quickly you got used to it going on private planes, and it's funny how quickly you got used to not going on it and turning right through the airport doors again. So that's it for another week. Uh, thanks ever so much for everybody for joining us. Uh, we'll be back as usual next week. Um, and remember, if you want to get in touch with us, we've got a Sonic State hotline. You can get on, you can leave a message there on uh, Skype handle Sonic Talk. Or if you want to use the good old telephone, uh, you can ring us if you're in the US on 312-376-8089. Outside the US, just plus one, 312-376-8089. Or if you're in the UK or surrounding European lands, um, call us in, on our London number. That's 0207-870-8616. If you're outside the UK, that's 44-0207-870-8616. Uh, and, of course, you can email us on sonictalk at sonicstate.com. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Sonic. Statesman. Not wrong.